here again with Gabrielle Caplice and Annette Baker. We are, this is a follow-on from the first episode on criticism and judgment, but I'm sure it will end up being a standalone episode as well. So you don't need to listen to the first one to be able to listen to this one, but it would really help you to be able to look at the whole package. What is criticism? What is judgment? Why is it in there? What we hear can be interpreted by everybody completely differently. So we can all hear the same sentence come out of someone's mouth. And each person, based on what is going on in their bodies, will hear it differently. So Gabrielle said the last time we caught up, oh, my, my niece will tell me to stop being so judgy. And yet someone else in the room might not have heard it as judgy. They might have heard it as actually a direct instruction to stop, um, to stop behaving in a particular way. So whenever we talk about judgment and criticism, it's super important to understand that we, are, we can't change how someone else hears what we say, but we can change what we bring to any situation and therefore be more aware of what we're contributing to any uh, relationship in terms of communication, verbal and nonverbal. And we'll try and cover the verbal and nonverbal today. And I talk about this all the time and I'm not sure we ever get to the nonverbal, <laughs> but um, nonverbal criticism speaks very loudly um, from what I, the feedback I get from a lot of teams. <clears throat> so let's kick off. Um, first of all, thank you both for, for jumping in and saying yes to this one again. Thank you, Lucy. Lucy. When things keep happening, when they keep coming up, we have to take a pit stop, don't we? We have to voluntarily go, hold on a second. What is going on? So what if we don't actually know what criticism and judgment look and feel like? What, how, do you, how do you be kind enough to yourself to say, you know what, someone's telling me that I'm judging them or criticizing them or they're constantly being triggered by what I say how can you kindly give yourself the space to do that without feeling like a failure or like you've ruined someone's life or blah 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 all those stories that come in it's not easy to feel in any of us that we're being judging or critical of another and it's very difficult to look at that within yourself. Most people are very defensive of the fact that they judge. And the reason being is that we don't accept or understand the process of what actually happens to us when we're, when we're doing that. So we might laugh it off or say, no, I was only kidding or I didn't mean it like that or you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. <clears throat> but to actually have judgment or criticism and project like that, you have to have laced what you're seeing or feeling in a particular way of the other person. So say, for example, the person with you 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 look at them and you think you're thinking something about them 
that is a filter that's coming in that then contaminates or spoils exactly the truth of what's actually being presented in that moment for you to see. So say um, you have a preconceived idea or experience of being with somebody in relationship in a particular way, say it's your mum or dad, and you're used to them saying things to you, maybe historically they've said, you're like this. So if you project that moment onto them, as in like you look at that experience and go, mum's going to say that again. Or dad always does this, so he's going to do that again. The minute you do that, you're gone. You're already in judgment. So the, the, the thing that happens to us that we don't like to be honest about is what we're actually feeling inside when we actually project that judgment onto the person. So instead of receiving the truth of what you're actually feeling and seeing, you subvert it into the judgment. And that part we're not honest about. And it's hard to get to that honesty with people. We don't like to be, to get to the absolute honesty of actually what we're really feeling. So just to clarify, that means that if, if when I was growing up, nobody listened to me at the dinner table, every time we're sitting at the dinner table and someone has something to say, if I haven't quite finished, I'm going to say, see, no one listens to me. I'm just going to paint the entire meal. I'm actually going to go to the meal situation with tension in my body, thinking no one's going to listen to me. Yeah. And, and do you think that actually that makes people talk over you? Because I, I, I grew up, everybody always spoke over me. No one, I felt like no one ever listened to me. And it was just really funny because I go, see, there you go. And when I um, took my now husband to dinner, I said, you just watch, you just watch. And I painted his eyes with my, no one listens to me. And yet my family would never say that they don't listen to me, ever. So we, we have, you can color everyone's behavior because of your perception. And your um, experience. Now that experience might've been evidential. It might've been true and it might've been real. But if you have, if you are carrying a hurt from that, then that's the part that then is going to lace the, the, the future experiences that occur. You know, if you were misunderstood by one person at one a significant moment in your life by a significant person in the family, then it might be that you take that lacing of that particular experience into other future relationships. But it brings us to the point that one of the key components of judging and criticism is having expectations of people to be a certain way. And because none of us are perfect, then we're, we're setting ourselves up. We're basically stuffing ourselves up because we're, if, 
Like if we look at mum and go, but it's my mum, she should be understanding of me, or it's my mum, she, she shouldn't speak to me like that, or she should be nurturing, and when she's not, then it's, it's crushing for me. That might, be, that might be true, that that actually happens, but if you have an expectation of what mum looks like, or a picture of how mum should be, then you're, you're setting yourself up in that moment. And that's when the judgment comes in. Does it also um, load mum so that mum might be more inclined to do it because she feels the judgment coming from you? Does that make sense? It's almost yeah. like I know with, with my kids, if they if they think I'm going to do something, I feel like I can't, I, I'm not that, I feel judged and therefore I'm a bit more tense and therefore I fall into the trap quicker than I can get myself out of it or spot it. Yeah. It's like there's, I think what you're saying, what you're identifying is that there's, there's imposition and projection, there's pro, imposition going both ways via mm. the projection. Mm. So nobody's actually left to be free, to actually just express just naturally and, and whatever they're, whatever it would be true for them to express in that moment because there's this slingshot of projection from one to the other. Because That's so true. You always hold me to this. Well, you always say this. Well, you do that first. No, you do that first. So. Yeah. I expect to be judged by them. They judge me. We, and it, it, you know, we both have to at the same time say, okay, pause. But something I was feeling with the, even just the, 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 the topic of judgment and criticism and the energy behind that or underneath it is that if we're judging or if we're critical, there's already a level of disconnection from ourselves to be, to be in the energy of that mm. because the soul doesn't judge, the soul doesn't criticise. So there could be a situation where, it can be a situation that requires reading, like to read what's actually going on. And it may be something that's, that's um, distasteful or out of line or something like that. So it requires us to read it, but it could be exactly the same words. Uh, what we read could be exactly the same reading of the situation and we could have exactly the same words for it if we were being judgmental or critical, but the energy in how we express it would be very, very different. So that one is just purely reading, therefore bringing understanding that, okay, if that person's behaving badly, they're disconnected, why are they disconnected? Or we can just look at it and go, well, what the hell are they doing? And be, and, and, and see why they're doing it, but, present our reading of it in a judgmental or critical way so that's our top tip number one isn't it actually and we need and um the word reading might not be familiar to that many people and is is reading the same as bringing understanding yeah i would say just just to bring understanding but to to feel with all your senses why someone is doing what they're doing. And if it's anything that falls under the banner of what we might call 
bad behavior or ill expression or anything at all that is harming in any way harming or disturbing to others, disturbing to, to the harmony, then there's a level of disconnection because in our, in our true connection, in, when, we're, when we're with ourselves truly, when we're with our essence, there's no harm mm. and there's no judgment. Mm. So likewise, for judgment to come through us about another or at another, then we also have a level of disconnection in that moment because otherwise, if we were truly connected, we can just read it, i.e. bring understanding. The reading, I love what you're both talking about. The reading aspect is really an observation of what's going mm. on with the human being. And so you use your six senses, your five obvious senses, taste, smell, touch, hearing, um, and then the sixth sense, which is feeling. So you're using those senses to record exactly what's going on with a person. And if you're a bit like a detective and you just scan what's going on and you don't go into an emotional reaction, then you can actually bring understanding via being, it's, it's a detachment that happens. You give yourself space to have a look at something and feel it, feel what's really going on. When you do that, there's no judgment at play. You're just observing, you're reading, you're reading the truth of what's actually falling in front of you, the outplay of what's going on in front of you. You're reading an experience. And you can do this whilst it's happening, or say sometimes when you're in bed at night and you go back into feeling what you saw and felt that day. Maybe you've gone to a party or a lunch and everything went on. And then later on, you recall an experience and you feel, you start to read and feel what was going on. So you're using your senses to determine exactly what you're seeing. And then if it's detached in a true way, you'll be able to feel the understanding that comes. It's an awareness that's brought to you from your soul that goes, that's why their person was like that because they actually were cranky because they'd had a fight with their partner before they even arrived. And you could tell by the way that they were talking with one another. And that's why they said that later. And so you get to, you, you, you get to really, it's like having a 360 degree view of what's going on, but you're not in it. You're detached enough to be able to be the observer and not the adjudicator of it. And, it, and it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing sense to be able to do that. It's amazing feeling to be able to do that. And if you go deep into the understanding, what will come is compassion you get an impulse from your soul, your inner awareness that goes, uh, I'm not going to judge that person. You don't have to because your soul gives you the understanding straight away. It's like, yeah, well, they've, they've been having a hard time. I get it. It makes sense. 
So I'm not going to take that personally and I don't have to box them in with some kind of judgment of what's going on for them. And it's and not patronizing, is it? It isn't, it isn't no. about saying, oh, you know, they've got issues, they've got things going on. It doesn't feel like that. I've, I mean, again, this is our top tip number two. Feel it for yourself and work on it and um, see what that feels like, what observation feels like for yourself before you think you're going to take that to someone else or fix anyone else. You're not suddenly becoming mini psychologists, but at the same time, you're learning what observation and reading actually feels like. A great example of that, if you can put it in a, a longer term scenario, is when we're kids so we're kids, we're teenagers, we're in our 20s and, you know, things happen in our lives and we might have felt um, judgmental or critical about our parents, okay? And then it's like, I wouldn't do it like that. Well, I wouldn't do it like that. I wouldn't do life like that. I wouldn't do parenting like that. And then when we get into our, usually I think sort of from mid-20s onwards or late-20s <laughs> onwards when you're actually an adult, like you've had sufficient adult life out in the world on your own, <laughs> then you go, oh, I get it. They were just learning about life as I am too. And, that, and if you allow yourself to be open to that awareness, a lot of that judgment and criticism that you once had of your parents then just becomes an observation and you have understanding because you get it that they were just learning to do life and they were in fact doing the best that they knew at the time yeah. because you see yourself doing exact not maybe not exactly the same behaviors but you see that same process happening in your own life and there's something to be said for there's something to be said for the love that you can hold for a person in this process mm -hmm. that prohibits you to go into judgment or criticism so I'll give you an analysis sessions with two clients who have, at an early age, um, particularly females, discovered that their father was having an affair. Now, the female, the, the, the client that was able to see and love her father for who he is, was able to process that moment very well and understand why dad would have been doing what he was doing, what was happening with mum and dad and their relationship, um, the pressures on dad or the um, escape or the intimacy that was not present in mum and dad's relationship and that's why dad was having an affair outside of the relationship. The, the child that was able to feel all of that in a way and un bring understanding to that and still hold the love for her father processes all of those things very well but the child that had expectations of dad to be a certain way and had no understanding of why that was going on could not look at the family environment and i'm not excusing the behavior or defending the behavior at all but if that child is not able to see the entirety or understand or bring understanding, and depending on the age that you are, it would be very difficult to do that. 
However, because those moments are very significant for children to find that out. It's like your whole world is your parents and you, you hold them in a particular way. And then something like that happens and it, 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 it destroys your view of them, especially if you've been brought up to respect your elders and everything like that. And, you know, as a young girl, you might have a particularly close relationship with your father or not or be already looking at the way that dad treats mum and feeling like oh, already in anger and frustration at, at that, then the particular view that's going to form is going to be very detrimental and it's going to lace that young girl in her relationships for the rest of her life unless she brings some understanding to this moment. And if it doesn't happen as a child, then it's going to have to happen later, particularly maybe in counselling. And this is what I've encountered and seen. But it doesn't always mean that you have to judge. And I've seen the difference between those children who've been able to, or the adult, the child within the adult that has been able to bring understanding and love to their parent in that moment, and not excuse the behaviour, but just accept it. Accept and understand the circumstance so that they're not, they're not setting themselves up and their relationship with the parents in a way that is um, sympathetic or conditional or, you know, it blocks a true and clear and loving way of being in relationship then. And then when they become parents themselves, they then lace their communication, their tone will be laced with it, they will project onto their new partner what they assume their their father, well, what they feel the hurt was that their father did to them or to to their mother. And there'll be triggers left, right and centre. Yeah, so what Mm. we're saying is that you know, the outplay of these events of judgment and criticism in the family environment are, are very strong and they can stay with people for the rest of their lives in relationships. Mm. So if things aren't cleared at an early age or brought understanding to as a young adult, they can fester and pollute the way that we are in relationships into 50, 60, 70 year old adults. Because I think I think what you're pinpointing from that, Lucy, is yes, if that's not if if in that example, if that if that child doesn't have understanding of that situation and therefore carries the hurt, then yes, they can very likely go into relationships projecting onto their, in let's say in that case, male partners the expectation that this will happen at some point in their relationship mm. with not with perhaps no evidence whatsoever from that partner that they would ever do anything like that but they're already in the trepidation or the fear of the potential of that happening so the judgment grows and grows and grows mm. it starts off as a judgment in a scenario and then it just gets cemented it highlights the responsibility for each of us 
to bring understanding to any situation, whether where the person who's right in the middle of it or we're an outsider to it or somehow that situation has influenced us in some way. What it's highlighting is the responsibility each of us have to bring observation and understanding to any situation. If we are in any way disturbed by any situation, no matter how close or removed from it we are, then we have a responsibility to address why we're disturbed and then bring understanding to the actual people involved in the situation. We don't have to deliver it to them, but have it in our own bodies, have that understanding in our own bodies. Otherwise, we will go around projecting and lacing situations with whatever we've taken as, as um, our judgment of that situation. So when we've got people living in the home, not being able to go out and do what they would normally want to do, and you have a teenager who is just like firing off on all cylinders, constantly angry, constantly trying to seemingly trying to irritate everybody, just basically telling everyone to just go away. It's really not easy. Using, those words. Yeah. <laughs> using slightly strong language. And not saying, go away, just go away. <laughs> Nonverbal and verbal communication <laughs> comes straight to the ball. Um, it, but it, there's that moment where you go, okay, well, hold on a second. That person has just had all of their strategies for, for decompressing taken away. They are now in a um, volcano type situation where it's just all building up. We need to honor that in each and every one of us and actually talk about it so that we go, okay, how can you find space to decompress? What did you use? What can you use now? And that's another pit stop so where, where you can pick up on the slightly more subtle criticisms and judgments through tone that indicate something underlying. Hmm. And it's really easy to ignore those early warning signs that come through the tone in someone's um, voice. But I distinctly remember growing up and hearing, Lucy, I do not like your tone. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps another opportunity for observation is, what's the tone that I speak with? What tone are other people speaking with? Are there subtle tensions that, that actually have been there for maybe a very long time that now I have chosen to offer myself the space to contribute to this family by just clocking them? And in a quiet moment, maybe saying to that person, hey, are you doing okay? Can I support in some way? Or do you need um, some space? What if we, I don't know, do you want to be outside for a little bit? Do you want to walk the dog just to get out of the house for five minutes or 10 minutes? Uh, that's great, Luce. That's a, that's a great way of dealing with it. And what you're actually talking about is letting your sensitivity collate the information of what's really going on. Because we all, we're all sensitive and we can all feel those things unless you choose deliberately to shut down to actually feeling that. We know when somebody that we're living with is cranky, you know, or <clears throat> moody or sulking. Sulking's a huge one. You know, you can feel that in a room. 
or you can feel when somebody's shut down and withdrawn, you know, and lots of young people go into that, the shutdown and withdrawn. And sometimes you can feel at a loss as to how to bring that person out of that shutdown, you know. Um, it's good to be able to say, like, I can feel that you're feeling a lot of things. I'm around if you want to talk. Um, you don't have to speak to me today, it's fine. But if you need to talk, I can feel that there's a lot of things going on inside of you. If you want to share, we can go to a quiet space or we can go for a walk or we can sit out in the sun in the garden and whenever you want to, I'm here. Can you speak about those things? So what, you're, what you have both um, touched on there within what you've said is also the nonverbal. So the, the movements, the movements that you can, we can feel someone moving around the house or not moving around the house, but, you know, being very withdrawn. But you can feel in that when someone is agitated or disturbed or, yes, they've withdrawn or they're holding back, they're depressed. There's not, there's often in those cases, there's, there's little to nothing being said verbally, but there is a huge amount being communicated. But I think, um, and as you, as I think what you're indicating is very current at this time where so many, everyone's recreation, their, their movements out in the world have been taken away. Everybody's being asked to, to stay at home as much as possible. A lot of people are actually in isolation we're probably all likely to head into these lockdown situations. That's very challenging for a lot of people. A lot of people are not equipped, equipped or and at ease to just be with themselves in that way without all the stimulation. But I think an important, um, a very important point to understand when we're in relationship with someone and we, we can see they're in trouble. We can see they're not coping and we want to support them to get the expression out of them of what they're feeling. It's important to understand how they best communicate, what mm. sort of communication they respond to. Because often to say to someone, what are you feeling? Tell me what you're feeling is actually just going to trigger even more of a reaction. Yes. Like they will blow up in your face. It's like it's so, too much. So it's important to, to actually, um, you know, design, for want of a better word, the way that design the approach to how you might ask that question. So rather than, oh, tell me what you're feeling or what are you feeling, you might say, hey, I've noticed, you, you know, you, you feel disturbed to me to me do you know what's disturbing you so it's more directive it's more precise them to a point of focus rather than this broad general question of what are you feeling so this is important in our relationships too is to is to gauge and feel people's style of communication that's so true because we're noticing our nephews and nieces as well and particularly with young people that they can, um, when they're around their parents, maybe they don't say what they really want to say. But sometimes if you are just 
in a moment with them and you might be looking at their artwork or listening to the music that they like or asking them about something else. Or it might be at the end of a family birthday dinner or something like that. Suddenly there's a moment where they might start to talk and you've got to grab that moment and will seize the moment and go, wow, this person's talking now. They haven't said anything for the whole of the birthday dinner. And all of a sudden, just as we're about to go or we're washing up or something like that, they've come alive and they're starting to, to loosen up. And then you use that moment. You, you've got to be awake and aware for those moments. And what you're trying to do in all of this, of what we're talking about, and this is a very important tip, is to get to absolute honesty, to actually know how to actually bring that out of a person or allow that out of a person, but also to be forthcoming in your own body with that as well too, because if you're not, there's no way that they're going to actually disclose and reveal as well. But they might be in the, in the fluidness of feeling loose and sharing, you know, and if you, it's not taking advantage, but you're allowing the space for that to occur and you, you're seizing the moment and, and realizing the value of that moment because that person might not open up like that regularly or feel relaxed enough in their body to disclose like that regularly. And so it's, it's enjoying the moment with them. It's allowing space and the fluidity and helping support them to come to express like that. And when you do that, it's great because you're not going to be in judgment or criticism. No. Neither of you will be in a relationship of judgment or criticism in that moment. It is a beautiful space to be in. And I've experienced it on a number of occasions. Some top tips from being the person who um, kind of felt that moment and then felt it disappear very quickly um, is that <laughs> you, you need to be responsive, not feel like, oh, they're asking for my advice. Here I go. I'm going to give it. I've been <laughs> holding this one. I've had, I've got at least four files worth of courses that I've been on that I can bring to the fore right now and, and give it to you. Um, uh, as my daughter said to me, um, we'll let you know when we want to talk to you about something. We will <laughs> let you know when the conversation is finished and we do not need you to bring it up again. Um, because if we don't bring it up, we don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I listen. And then while we're talking, I am able to, you know, I, I'm able to offer or express if, if you would like some advice, you'll ask for it. And, and if it's there to offer for me, I'll, I'll offer it. She went, yep, yep, that's okay. I said, so when the conversation comes to an end, yeah, yep, it will come to an end, uh, possibly before you're ready for it to come to an end, but we're at capacity of what we want to hear. But then you know how you come back and you've thought about it and you've come up with something really good you want to share, don't share. I went, oh, really? Okay. 
I should know, not yet. Maybe in a few years time when we're a bit older and we can look at this a bit more maturely. But right now, no, when we don't want to talk about it, we really don't want you to remind us that we actually have been talking about it with you. Okay. <laughs> so there's some humor that you need to bring in and go, look, you know what? It's not where I'm at with a particular problem. It's not my problem to carry around when someone shares something with me it's still their thing that they're working out in their life it's not it doesn't suddenly become my issue and therefore there's that ability when you were talking about detaching and observing to just observe how much you need to be needed and suddenly take that on as oh I'm going to fix this for you. I'm going to be your knight in shining arbor and how quickly that can come in because that is a major trigger for those that are, as teenagers are, learning independence and independence particularly from their parents. And here they are in a home not being able to actually go out and practice that independence. So major trigger mm. thing, but yeah. a bit of a, a guidance. And that's and, and it's good you brought the word fix into it because that's that's what that is, that sort of imposing, oh, here's an opportunity to give my, you know, 50 cents worth more than just your two cents worth. He's, you know, jumping in and it's, it's a want to fix. But if you want to fix, that means you've already had a judgment. Yes. You've already decided that something's not working for that person or it's broken or it's disjointed or whatever. If, if you want to fix, you've already judged. And the thing is, is letting, leaving, observe, observe people, observe ourselves the whole time, but observe and let people be, let, obviously not let people just go off and completely destroy themselves. We have to, inter, sometimes we, we need to intervene in those situations, but it's letting people be to learn their own lessons, to be in their cycle of growth, their mm -hmm. cycle of learning and healing. If we interrupt that and we bring a, we bring a fix or a solution, if they were to adopt that, well, they haven't actually learnt and embodied their own lesson. So it will just cycle around again. And what I've noticed is that the moment I, I worry about them, I project that, that they're not equipped to deal with what's in front of them. And yet we are all equipped to deal with what is in front of us. Mm -hmm. The anxiety comes when we don't know we have the skills to do that and we disconnect from our own innate ability to trust that we are, that we know and that we're incredibly supported. And so, you know, to, to worry about someone else is, in, is patronizing because you're saying, oh, look, I know how to deal with this better. You just, you know, let me bring all my wisdom rather than elicit that wisdom from them and, and give them the, the ability, as you say, to learn in their cycle, in their time. And it may take them tens of years where it took you a year may take them to put their hand on that um, hot um, saucepan three times, whereas the first time you did it, you went, okay, not so smart, whatever. And, and, and that is, you know, that tip, if there's a tip in there, is really the 101 of true counseling and how we bring that into mm. everyday life. Because true counseling is about just holding and supporting another to come to their own awareness. So we can we can bring that into everyday life in our relationships. You, you're there, you're loving, you're holding, you're observing, but you're doing it in a way that lets that person know they're loved, lets that person know they're being listened to and they're being heard and they're being seen. 
but you are there offering your support both verbally or just energetically, physically, in a way that allows them the space to come to their own awareness. Then it's their learning. It's not something imposed on them. It is very difficult in our intimate human relationships in the hotbed of the family environment where it is very intimate in those formidable years of growing up and parenting and also being a child and to discern or to learn that we are invested we're very we're heavily invested in the way that we are with one another and we have expectations now sometimes it, sometimes those expectations get confused between there is a confusion between standards having a standard of how we go about doing things in relationships and how we are in relationships you know you can't as Annette has said you know you're not accepting abuse and as a parent you might want to set standards and foundations of how we relate to one another or communicate in a family together. But then expectations can come in and confuse this, or blur the lines and, and, and confuse things. So it's, that, that is also a, a, a learning of a detachment to actually understand within yourself, is it a standard that you have of how mum and dad should be? knowing a, a true standard for human beings, how we should behave or how we should be expressing something that's loving or something that's harmonious or not? Or is it an expectation that you're lacing that person with, mum and dad with, or vice versa? And so it's very difficult in, as I said, in these intimate human relationships to discern that about yourself. It takes quite a lot of self-reflection to understand that and unpick it. And because society has so many images of family life, it's really easy to get very strongly held in those pictures of how family life should be. We see all of those happy family kind of um, billboards or advertising or in movies and particularly American movies. And if you're in a dysfunctional situation, how do you, how do you make sense of all of that? And you can grow up having enormous expectations of other people. And this is the skewing of relationships like this is when criticism and judgment comes in. So we have to be very honest about our expectations of one another. And it's great, like what your daughter said to you, Lucy, you get, you get to just take it back a little bit and then just feel whether it's your own ego and personality trying to control a moment. And that's part, that's the investment. You know, it's coming from this individual part of yourself that goes, I want it like this. I want you to be like this. So you're trying to control it from this aspect. And if, you, if we can be very honest about that part of ourselves, because the way that Annette was talking previously offers so much space. 
that awareness, that understanding of people means that you're in a true equal relationship with them. <clears throat> you're not expecting them to be something for you. So therefore, the, that equality allows so much harmony, so much space. There's no judgment there. There's understanding, there's compassion. But if you have an investment, then it's very individual. It's like my conditions on you. I want you to be like this. And if you're not like this, then you hurt me. But you're setting yourself up to be hurt. And judgment and criticism are totally in bed with that way of being. This is going to be an episode that is worth re-listening to. It's an opportunity to really understand each other and ourselves and what's at play in all of our relationships all the time. It's like we're being played and we need to see what's playing us so that we can actually take more loving care of each other and more loving responsibility for, for what we bring to any relationship. An enormous amount. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lisa. It's lovely talking with you, as always.